Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, we got a lot to get to today. We got the All Big 12 team that just came out. We're taping this on Thursday this week, not on Friday. We got that team that just came out. We have a lot of thoughts on that. We got OSU signing day that just occurred. We also have OSU's collapse against TCU and in college basketball. So an action-packed show today, Colby. You fired up? Uh, yeah, I am. It's, it's an exciting week. We've got, obviously, had OSU and TCU last night. Uh, that went pretty well for, what, let's say 38 minutes. Uh, and then it went pretty poorly for two minutes. But then we've got Oklahoma State and Texas this Saturday. I believe that game's at 1 o'clock. We've got championship Saturday and college football this weekend, which obviously doesn't include Oklahoma State. But still fired up for that. So good week. College basketball's rolling. NBA's right around the corner. Tiger and Charlie are playing this weekend. It, it's just a great sports week, Carson. It really is. I mean, uh, normally when football's winding down, I, I get kind of depressed because there's not a whole, there's not as much to talk about. But you know, all the everything you mentioned, the NBA starts, I believe, yeah, next week on Tuesday is the Thunder season opener. So there's there's a ton going on in the sports world. But uh, before we get to all those topics, let's get to the Chris's University Spirit uh, sponsoring the podcast once again. And again, you can go to chrisuniversityspirit.com, get all of your Christmas shopping done. And I noticed a post, Justin Southwell passed along a tweet, or no, no, it was uh, Dustin Ragusa, I'm sorry, from Pistols Firing, who, who passed along an Instagram post from Chris's that, you know, there's been a lot of talk, Colby, about the coaches' polos that Mike Boynton and staff are wearing. They got the Curse of Cowboys on them. I believe they're Tiger Woods uh, polos, the Nike edition Tiger Woods. Chris has posted some of those on their Instagram. So it might not be listed on their, their website, but if you go to in, in store on campus corner, if you're in town, you can pick up one of those bad boys and that, that would make a great holiday gift. Yeah, absolutely. It would. Those are pretty sweet. And uh, yeah, it's, I, uh, I'm really torn on what happened in the basketball game last night. A lot of good, a <laughs> lot of bad. I know we're not there yet. We're talking about Chris's and Chris's is great. I still need something for my dad actually. Uh, so I'll tell him not to listen to this podcast so I won't spoil it for him. Then I'm going to get on Chris's and order him a polo. Yeah, that'd be good. And they also had the, uh, the Curse of Cowboys masks as well. So you can, you can get him one of those too. So there's uh, multifaceted gifts available at Chris University Spirit. It, go in store to get some of those gifts. And you can obviously shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Well, just minutes before we started this show, Colby, uh, the Big 12, all Big 12 first team and second teams Players of the Year was released by the Big 12 for football season. You know, normally I don't get worked up about these, and mostly that's because I think they usually get these teams pretty spot on. They're, very rarely do I have big gripes with the first and the first team especially, and because I think normally Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are near the top of the Big 12 standings, and they, they have, they're well represented. But this year, you know, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State have two of the best defenses in the, the conference, certainly Oklahoma State by all the metrics, has had a great year defensively. Not one Sooner or Cowboy on the All-Big 12 first team. And from OSU's perspective, Colby, that it's simply – I don't even know where to begin, but I guess I will start with the fact that that occurred, the fact that Rodarius Williams has put together one of the best years of any cornerback in the country. He's not on it. But you can go up and down the roster and point out guys who didn't make it, Colby. Isn't that just shocking to you, not one Cowboy is on the first team? Yeah, I actually saw this when you tweeted it out right before we came on, and I'm looking at the list right now, and it's Iowa State, Iowa State, Kansas State, Texas, West Virginia, Iowa State, TCU, West Virginia, Baylor, Iowa State, TCU, TCU, Texas Tech. And I'm looking at that, and I'm like, yeah, some of these guys are really – you know, Hodges Tomlinson down at TCU, good player, no doubt. Trayvon Merrick, great, great player down at TCU. But I'm looking at these defensive backs, and we've got a guy from Texas Tech on here. Jalen Petra at Baylor does a good job, but – have those guys had as good of a year as Rodarius Williams? Uh, there's just no way. I mean, Rodarius Williams has gone from a guy who was likely going to have to enter the NFL as an undrafted free agent to a guy who's probably getting picked uh, in the first three rounds. He's probably not even going to have to wait until Saturday to hear his name called. Colby Harvell Peel has, has had a phenomenal season. Uh, he's been great. I understand there were a little bit of injury problems, but not a ton. It's not like he missed eight games or something. And then amen, Malcolm Rodriguez, Trey Sterling, uh, none of those guys get a look on the first team. So, yeah, I, I was really disappointed um, to see that Oklahoma State, which clearly all season long had the best defense in the conference, 
did not have a single representative on the Big 12 first team. Yeah, and I, I don't know if they're just looking at box scores. And again, I think this is a media vote, and I'm, I'm in the media, but I didn't vote on this. Um, I don't know what they're looking at because obviously if you're going to try to pick a cornerback, it's you can't just look at box scores because nobody throws at Rodarius Williams for a reason. I think if they would look at the advanced stats and the advanced metrics, certainly pro football focus, uh, their college Twitter account does a great job. And Rodarius Williams was like a weekly tweet for them, how good he's been in coverage, limiting targets. He's been so good, let alone limiting production. Um, so first and foremost, I think Rodarius is the most glaring omission. I, I'm with you there. And I understand Harvell Peel had injuries, which you mentioned, but the guy was first team all big 12 last year and the, the safety duo of Peel and Sterling combined with Rodarius is the reason OSU's defense is what it is, is the reason it's one of the best in the conference. And I don't know if they're just trying to get more teams on here because I don't know why else you would put a Texas tech or a Baylor defensive back on here. Cause I also do think that the individual teams should be a reflection of how the year played out and, and you should reward more uh, teams that have better records and have done better in the league. So a, a two win Baylor team getting a secondary player on there is laughable. Uh, Texas tech getting any defensive players on here is laughable. Um, I don't know what they were looking at. And Again, Trey Sterling, Eamon Ogbong-Bamiga, these are some of the best players in the conference. And I, I just, I don't know what they're looking at. I, and again, I'm, I'm totally cool with Iowa State having a ton of guys on there. They were the best team all year long in terms of the metrics, in terms of the stats, and, and obviously the record. And I don't know. It, again, I don't get worked up about this, but I don't know how you watched the Big 12 this year and not put a single defensive player from OSU on the team. It just, to me, it, it's, it's egregious. It's also just like laugh out loud, stupid. It has no common sense to it whatsoever. So I, I, I can't believe what I'm even looking at. And then that's before you even talk about Oklahoma. I mean, OU's defensive line, just, just them alone should have at least one guy on there. I mean, take your pick, whether it's Perrion Winfrey, Ronnie Perkins, Isaiah Thomas, those guys have been unbelievable. We've seen their defensive line play really well. But uh, man, I'm really disappointed with the, the lack of recognition for OSU. Yeah, I know you're, you're talking about you don't usually get worked up over this. My, my thing with these first and second teams is preseason, I don't even look at them. I don't care. I don't care who's on the preseason list. It doesn't matter. But these postseason awards, these mean something to the players. And being recognized for what you've done all year means something to these guys. I mean, Rodarius Williams going into the draft, you don't think it would matter to him to be able to go in and say that he was on the uh, All-Big 12 first team? No, I mean, he's going in trying to be drafted by Friday – and he's not even first team in his conference. I, that means something to that guy. And, you know, we've seen Trey Sterling uh, tweeting lately about the Thorpe Award and how Oklahoma State has one of the best secondaries in the nation, ranked the third best secondary in the nation, don't get a single guy uh, as a finalist for the Thorpe Award. And, again, third-ranked secondary in the nation. They don't get a guy on first team. Now, on second team, amen, Malcolm Rodriguez, uh, Colby Harvell Peel, and Rodarius Williams were all on the second team. But, I don't know, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. And you're right, Oklahoma State was much better. And, you know, you said something, getting more teams on here. Well, I mean, West Virginia's got two guys on here. Why does West Virginia need two guys on here? Again, Texas Tech has a defensive back on here over Rodarius Williams. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Baylor has a defensive back on here over Rodarius Williams. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So, uh, you know, the guys at TCU, I think, are really good players. But there are definitely some guys here who could be subbed out for Rodarius Williams and Car Colby Harvell Peel. And even for my money, Amen Ogbong-Bamiga, who I think has had a phenomenal year. Uh, I mean, I think he should be slotted in there where Tony Fields is at from West Virginia at the yep. linebacker position. So I, I do get a little worked up about the postseason list sometimes if they're obviously wrong. If it's just a difference of opinion, so be it. But I think most people think that this is obviously wrong. Um, so, yeah, that, that bothers me a little bit because it means something to the kids. Yeah, it does. And like you mentioned – like that goes on your resume forever. Like I know, you know, you and I don't put much stock into the first team, all big 12 and all that at the end of the year. Cause I think they normally get it right, but you're right. Like when we evaluate like guys careers, like first team, all big 12 means a lot to have that on your resume. I mean, that just, it really does. So like when you were talking about Rodarius Williams years from now, like, like you pull up his, his bio, that's one of the first things that's going to be listed. 
and it's not on there and it gets it gets lost in history so i think while it's it's technically meaningless on paper it, it really does mean something so i'm disappointed and rodarius is too he tweeted third best secondary in the country and not one first team defensive player i think that that really says it all so OSU gets shafted on that. I have no idea how a Sooner or Cowboy doesn't make it. It just, I don't know what, to me, it just tells you that there's a lot of stigma with OU and OSU's defenses just as a whole around the Big 12. And it tells me that people didn't watch a lot of the games. So I think if you look at OSU, especially like some of those scores got out of hand because their offense couldn't move the football. I mean, just the last, you know, the, the games coming home down the stretch, especially the Oklahoma game, like, I know they gave up two drives to begin the game, but after that, they played really well in that game. And people just clearly didn't watch the games in order to just not put one guy there on, on the first team. So that's that. That's uh, kind of a disappointing finish for the Oklahoma State players in terms of all Big 12. We did have signing day on Colby. And again, I'm much like all Big 12 teams, I don't get too worked up about recruiting typically. I mean, I, I certainly think Mike Gundy has not recruited up to where he's elevated this football program. I've, I've said that for years, but I think I have to give a little credit where credit is due here, Colby. They were in like the high forties, most, most sites that you looked at, they elevate all the way to 36th in the country. And I think the most telling stat, uh, I think Kyle Boone wrote a really good piece on, on pistols firing, how much OSU moved up the rankings on signing day. He points out that OSU had the third best class in the big 12. I think that Instead of looking at just, you know, the 36 in the country, I think looking at where they rank in the Big 12 is very important because I think it's telling to what's happened the last three or four years and that the last three years, OSU has been fifth in the Big 12. That's just, that's not good enough. But this year, they're all the way up to third in the Big 12, which again, they're always going to most likely in the rankings be behind Oklahoma and Texas. We know that, but I think finishing thirds where they should be just about every year. So that's what they did this year. So I got to give some credit to Mike. They, they closed pretty strong. Uh, yeah, they did. I'll say this. I've seen a lot of uh, stuff floating around. You know, it's about quality. Look at the player average, the player rating average for Oklahoma State. And I'm on 247 and that's 86.13. It's like, you know, it's not really about just the number of commits. How good are the guys you have committing? Quality over quantity. 86.13 is the overall ranking there for Oklahoma State. So Oklahoma State is ranked third in the Big 12, but here are the teams that are ranked behind Oklahoma State in the Big 12 that have a higher individual player rating. That would be West Virginia. That would be Baylor. Let me continue to scroll here because we got a few more. TCU has a higher individual player rating as well. Wow. Uh, let's get a little bit further down. Texas Tech has a higher individual player rating as well. So I, I want to be careful to give Oklahoma State credit for what they've done but it's a double-edged sword. You can't use the individual player rating to tell me that this is Oklahoma State's third best class or second best class ever and tell me that they're third in the Big 12. I, I don't know. It's I, I struggle with recruiting rankings because there are so many little nuances like that. It's like Oklahoma State has 20 commits. West Virginia has 16. But West Virginia's players are ranked a full point higher on average at 87.19 than Oklahoma State's are at 86.13. So, you know, who really has the better class? Is it Oklahoma State because they got four more guys? Or is it West Virginia because they currently have four less players, but the players they do have are better than the ones Oklahoma State has? It's, it's kind of a catch-22. So uh, I think whenever you're looking at recruiting rankings, you have to do some, some pretty serious data analysis to determine who falls where. No, that's, that's a great point. That's, that's certainly good perspective because – you know, I mentioned the last three years they were fifth. Well, in 2018, they had a higher, you know, per player average than they did this year, even though they're, they moved up from fifth to third. Uh, so that, that's that's certainly an important way to look at it, no doubt about it. And I, I will say this, though, too, on, on finishing third in the Big 12, Boone points out that, you know, this is the first time OSU's finished third in Big 12 rankings in terms of recruiting. They've never finished higher than fourth in, my, in, in, in the entirety of Mike Gundy's tenure at OSU dating back to 2005. So I I will give credit there. I still think Oklahoma State is a much better football program than 36th in the country in terms of recruiting. And I think that goes back to just where recruiting is now. And again, I, I know this was a, a weird year with the pandemic and you know virtual meetings and Zooms and no official visits. But I do think that this is where I think Gundy falls short a little bit in terms of recruiting and that 
I think he tends to settle and doesn't go after, you know, the higher ranked guys. He gets guys he knows he can get, guys that fit his program, fit his culture, and and fit his style of play, certainly. And he's proven that he can find guys that can play at this level. We just listed all the guys that should have made first team all Big 12. I don't I don't think any of them were were high, that highly rated with the exception of, of Tywin Wallace, who did make first team. Him and Tevin Jenkins both made first team. We I forgot to mention that. So that those guys at least got their due on the often on the offensive side. But I do think OSU should recruit at a much higher level. And I just I don't know. That's that's something I'm I'm always gonna harp on because again, like OSU has been top 15 in wins over the past decade. And I just I'm not sure why they haven't strive to do better in recruiting I know there's budget issues with that OSU doesn't have the biggest recruiting budget certainly near the bottom of the big 12 I would think in terms of recruiting budgets but I don't know I just that's something when we talk about what this program will look like after Mike Gundy that I think people are intrigued by and that you mentioned this in the last few shows just a young hungry coach who is obsessed with recruiting like a Lincoln Riley who understands social media and how to recruit via social media like a Lincoln Riley I think that's that's kind of the future Colby because I remember I'll always remember this I was talking to a a person on OSU staff a couple years ago and this blew my mind and this kind of tells you how recruiting has evolved over the last three four or five years he he was telling me that recruits care more about which fan base gives them the most followers, more likes on Twitter, more Instagram followers, whatever fan base, quote unquote, shows him the most love can sway him more than who his position coach will be when he arrives on campus. They care more about that than who their position coach is, maybe even more intrinsic football aspects of terms of how they're going to be utilized. Isn't That's crazy to me, and that makes me – understand why Mike Gundy has just not wanted to deal with a lot of the recruiting headaches that come with it. But that's kind of the, the generation recruiting that, that, that you have now, Colby. And that's something that, um, that I think you know, the next coach needs to understand and fully grasp. Yeah, this is obviously a different generation of kids. Also, I want to say just before somebody tweets us, yes, we know that the recruiting process is not 100% over. There is still some left to be done but it's pretty close. The rankings are not going to shift much between now and when the regular signing day is in February. So I know we're talking about it as if the recruiting process is completed because it 95% is. So we'll, we'll update you again after the, the regular signing day in February and see where Oklahoma State finishes in the final rankings. But I imagine it's going to be very close to where they are now. Uh, as far as trying to grasp this younger generation of kids, I could see that. I could see kids being swayed by uh, fans and likes and things like that. And to me, it's not, I I don't know. This is just me looking from an outside perspective. You know, you get these elite five-star, the elites of the elites. Like yesterday we see Ohio State gets the number one recruit in the country for the second year in a row. Alabama gets the top two offensive linemen in the same class. First uh, first school to do that, uh, I think, since we began doing rankings this way. I, I think that those kids are much more concerned about, okay, where am I going and how are they going to put me in the NFL after three years in college? I I think that's their concern. But most of these three-star guys, I think most of these three-star guys are are looking at, like you said, fan bases, uh, programs, culture, stuff like that. Just what what are they going to like? Where are they going to have the most fun college experience and be able to play college football? And sure, give themselves a chance to go to the next level, but – you know, that's not a 98 overall rated recruit that's going to Alabama in hopes of being a top five draft pick in three years. That's a guy who's looking for somewhere to go where he can be part of a great culture, he can be loved, and he can play college football and hopefully make it to the next level. I think there's a difference in those type of kids. And that's, again, that's all the little nuances that coaches have to understand and be able to utilize. Yep, no doubt. And, I, and again, I'm not sitting here asking for OSU to go get five stars. There's There's very few of those. And they're usually going to the, the blue bloods of the world. But I, I do think they should get more four-star kids. I think those are – the difference between a four-star and a three-star and the, the bust factor is far less significant when you get a four-star as opposed to a three. I mean, I look at guys like Tywin Wallace. Like, he was a legit four-star receiver. And he was, you know, virtually a can't miss. I mean, he got on the field early, even though the receiving core was stacked when he arrived on campus. Guys like that, I think they should get – 
more often, certainly on the offensive side and also on the defensive side too, which they, they were able to get a four-star defensive tackle, Aiden Kelly. So like they are getting more of those guys. And I do think it's a pretty solid defensive class, but I just think they should get more, more four stars than, than two and threes. But again, if you're looking at this from Mike Gundy's perspective, I mean, how many people were like, I, I certainly wasn't on signing day when they got James Washington thinking they got some, you know, one of the best receivers to ever play at OSU. And he was a virtual unknown out of a tiny school in Texas. And OSU certainly has, they don't, while they don't have the stars and the class rankings of, of certain programs, I think they should, they certainly have a good eye for evaluation. I will definitely give Mike Gundy credit for that because usually guys he gets outperform their star levels. Malcolm Rodriguez is a fantastic example. I mean, hardly anybody recruited him and he's turned into one of the best linebackers in the Big 12. So Gundy does get a lot of benefit of the doubt for me in terms of his evaluation. I just think they could do better. But uh, there's another article that Boone wrote on pistols firing. Again, Boone just killing it on, on pistols firing. Uh, he had five thoughts in the recruiting class. I want to kind of run those through those real quick. Number one is uh, help on the way up front. I kind of mentioned this, the, the Aiden Kelly kid. And also a junior college uh, tackle, Caleb Etienne. He's 6'8", 310. <laughs> Just a mountain of a man. That'll help the offensive line. They also got an offensive lineman from Jinx. And uh, so the up front, I think, is, is always important. It's also tougher to evaluate. But certainly on paper, it looks like they, they help themselves up front. Yeah, it does. And that's good because uh, another thing that we should note, these things don't always work out. And we saw this week, uh, just what was it, Monday, Trent Pullen, the second highest rated recruit of the 2020 class, who was brought in on the offensive line, announced that he was entering the transfer portal. Now, of course, he can enter the portal and still come back to Oklahoma State. Uh, but I think getting the the Juco transfer in, 6'8", 310 pounds, three-star on the offensive line, that's a guy that you might expect to come in and make an immediate impact, especially whenever you're losing a young guy uh, that Oklahoma State clearly thought could come in and help the program. Yeah, no doubt. That's a good point. I forgot about the Poland news. That's that's a, a very important point. And number two of, of Boone's article was what you mentioned, quality, not quantity. The, I guess it's the second, average, second highest average per player ranking in the Gundy era, which is important. I mentioned Aiden Kelly is a four-star. Bryson Green is also the other four-star they got. So that kind of hammers home the per-player average that we, we talked about. And number three, I think this is interesting too, Colby, no quarterback. You know, typically programs like to take a quarterback every single year just because there's so much that can happen now with the, the transfer rules of quarterbacks. When they graduate, they can leave and, and be eligible immediately. But they do have Gunnar Gundy sitting there who is walking on but is not on the team this year because he's, he's spacing out his eligibility, I think, with Shane Ellingworth. So uh, I thought it was interesting they didn't, uh, they didn't take a quarterback, Colby, especially when you and I have speculated what the depth chart's going to look like next year. Yeah, I mean, that's clearly a Gunner Gundy thing, right? I mean, they've got Gunner Gundy coming in as a walk-on, so he won't impact the scholarships at all. So I, that's clearly got to be a Gunner Gundy thing. Uh, you know you've <laughs> got him coming in as a walk-on, so you don't go get somebody else. I hope it doesn't backfire. Really hope it doesn't backfire. Uh, I'm getting Nathan Simmons vibes. I'll just say that now again, Gunnar Gundy is a really good high school player. He only had a, like two offers out of, out of high school from some smaller schools. So I don't know that that's a long ways away, but, uh, and again, that, with the transfer rules, it also can help an OSU too. It, it doesn't just hurt them. They can obviously go get a, a, you know, they got Drew Brown out of Hawaii as well. And maybe they could get someone even better via the transfer market. Should they, should they lose a quarterback to transfer, they can always pick one up as well. But that, that's always a kind of a dicey market in terms of who you can get and the connections and everything else. Uh, number four, I wish you got some twins. We, we just were losing uh, Trayson and Tylen Wallace, but uh, they get the, uh, the twins from Allen, Texas, uh, Bryson and Blaine Green. So the, the twin aspect continues. You, know, you had Joey and Stevie Graham. You had the, the Wallace twins. You got the Boone twins. The, the twin... Uh, the twin genes strong in Stillwater. I, I like these two kids coming from Allen, Texas, obviously a powerhouse that doesn't hurt either. It was where Kyler Murray played his high school football. So I like uh, the receiver recruiting to me is just keep on churning. And you've mentioned this too, the receiver depth, I think next year's not going to be what it's been over the last few years. Yeah. I'll be curious to see if either one of these guys makes their way onto the field as a freshman. It's Bryson green. He was the four star rated uh, 89 
88.04. And then Blaine Green, his twin brother, 88.17. So a three-star, but really not too far behind his brother Bryson. And Blaine is actually listed an inch taller at six one and a half, whereas uh, Bryson's listed at six foot and a half inch. Both weigh about the same, 203, 204, right in that neighborhood. So that's kind of similar size uh, to Thailand is what we're seeing there from Bryson Green. So, yeah, I love the the twin vibe at receiver. I'm looking forward to watching those guys. Yeah, and receiver to me, so, like, there's been so many receivers of just over the last two, three years that haven't even stepped on the field yet that I thought were going to be really, really good. So I, I don't know how quickly they will get on the field. You just, you don't really know till they get into practice and you start hearing some, I'll never forget. I was told about Marcel Aitman when he was a freshman and the, the word around Stillwater was like, this kid's going to be really good. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Cause he wasn't, you know, just the highest rated receiver they got out of that class. So you, you just don't know. That's obviously why recruiting such an inexact science, but guys like uh, who did I, I, I loved Jonathan Shepard coming out of high school. He's now a redshirt sophomore and I don't think he's played at all hardly. Uh, so guys like that, you'll just have to wonder and, and see how they how they progress and once they get on on campus. And one last note, um, the running back depth. They added some. Uh, they added a transfer from Utah State, which will help. Obviously, they're losing Chuba Hubbard, LD Brown uh, next year, so that's that's important. They got a transfer, and uh, who else did they get here? But they do have Dominic Richardson and Des Jackson coming back. Jalen Warren is his name from from Utah State. So. Got some much needed depth at running back, but again, I'm, Colby, I'm I'm excited about uh, Des Jackson and, and Dominic Richardson coming back next year. Yeah, I'm excited about both of those guys. I don't really expect uh, Nixon to have to make uh, an impact very early in his college career. This is a guy that I expect to be around for a couple of years, really, before we see much of him on the field. And part of that's his size too. He's listed at 5'10", 170 coming out right now. I think he needs a couple of years of Coach Glass to get him ready. I mean, we know what Desmond Jackson looks like physically Dominic Richardson still a true freshman but still phys pretty physically imposing and I'm curious to see what he looks like after another year with Rob Glass so Jaden Nixon at 5'10 170 I think obviously has a chance to be a future star at Oklahoma State but I, I don't think that there's many guys in this class that I would expect to come in and be impact players right away maybe Aiden Kelly or one of the green twins uh, up at the top of this class maybe like at the Kelvin Beeman uh, in the middle, just depending on what you lose at safety. But I would say most of these guys probably won't see them out there for a couple of years, and that's the way it normally goes at Oklahoma State. Mike Gundy's not big on playing freshmen anyway, um, so I, I wouldn't expect to see too many of these guys on the field in 2021. But there are some some intriguing names here. Uh, Colin Oliver, the kid from Santa Fe, I think will be fun to watch. He's rated at nearly an 89 as a recruit, so he's one of the highest guys in the class for Oklahoma State, and obviously being a local guy, I enjoy rooting for the local guys. Yeah, there's lots of them. I mean, they had seven Oklahomans signed with OSU, which which I like, and I think there's good enough talent in this state to take, you know, a handful of guys from this state as well. I think the Jinx offensive lineman I mentioned is really good. Uh, Colin Oliver looks the part. I covered several Edmund Santa Fe games, and I love keeping that Edmund Santa Fe pipeline going because you got Trace Ford, Calvin Bundage, you know, guys like that have, have certainly produced at OSU and, and Oliver to me, he already looks the part. I think he's going to be an exciting player once he gets in the, the Rob Glass uh, system. And and uh, the, the receiver out of Midwest City, McCallie Smith, I like him a lot too. So I think I think Gundy's realized and, and has targeted a lot of in-state kids because they're better probably than they're rated overall. And they've they've produced for him in the past. You know, you can go down the line of, you know, Tracy Moore's of the world from, from Oklahoma that that have produced. So I like getting the in-state kids. I think you, Texas is always going to be where you, you take about 80% of your recruits. That's where Texas should be like an in-state recruiting base for OSU. And it has been for Mike Gundy. That's where he gets most of his players, but I certainly like getting, getting the local kids as well. Yeah. The breakdown by state, nine players from the state of Texas, seven from the state of Oklahoma, two from Louisiana and one from each California and Utah. So 16 of the 20 players Oklahoma State's bringing in uh, or that are in this class so far from either Texas or Oklahoma, which I think is about what we've come to expect from Oklahoma State. And uh, yeah, a lot of exciting talent from in the state. Several guys from the metro area, like you mentioned, uh, Colin Oliver, Macaulay Smith down at Midwest City. Uh, also, where was the other couple that I saw? Donovan Stevens, linebacker from uh, Dell City, has some some pretty good uh, pedigree coming in. A lot of people really like what he brings to the table. So several Metro guys in there as well. 
Yeah. The receiver from Norman, too, Jaden Bray. Almost forgot about Jaden Bray. Three star out of Norman High. Yeah, maybe he'll turn into Ryan Broyles, who they didn't get out of Norman High. Right. <laughs> I watched him a few times. He's an interesting case. He he was a basketball player because his, his parents wouldn't let him play, or his mom wouldn't let him play football till he he shot up to like six foot three and was like, I really want to play football. And he switched over to football, I believe, as a sophomore, maybe, which is, you know, usually you play football all the way through middle school and high in through high school. And he obviously blossomed and he's a really good physical receiver and I think he's going to do well in the system as well because again I I trust Casey Dunn a lot at receiver he's been their best recruiter in terms of production so it'll, it'll be fun to watch and again and again to my point about the in-state kids Dominic Richardson true freshman uh just coming off you know 163 yard game against uh Baylor that just shows you that the in-state talent can produce at this level so I'm excited to watch those guys progress uh, we did have a basketball game last night Colby Oklahoma State opening big 12 play against TCU Bit of a roller coaster. I mean, they were up early. TCU went on like a 14-2 run towards the latter stages of the first half. Then OSU makes a big run to take the lead. And, man, things absolutely crumbled because OSU gives up a 9-0 run to end the game, and they they end up losing. They, they led uh, 76-68 to with 221 to go. And it just their offense crumbled. The team crumbled. I think Mike Boynton did not steer the ship home. And uh, TCU absolutely stole one in Gallagher-Iva, Colby. And I think this is going to really hurt uh, their resume come tournament. Yeah, they time. definitely did. And, and and this one really stung for me last night. I, I was pretty upset at the conclusion of this game because the way I look at it, there are so many good teams. Not even good teams. There are so many great teams in the Big 12. I mean, you still have to face Kansas twice, West Virginia, Baylor, Texas Tech. You still have to face Texas. All those You have to face all those teams twice. And if you want to accomplish your goals this season, you just cannot afford to lose home games to TCU. You just can't because there are too many games coming up against teams that are absolutely stacked. So now to make up for the loss to TCU, Oklahoma State's going to have to go out and they're going to have to win one against Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech, West Virginia, teams that they're going to be underdogs to both times that they play them this season. So the, the way that this game finished was tough because at about the six minute mark, Cade went on like a little personal eight nothing run and it looked like he waited until it was time to take over and took over, and Oklahoma State was going to coast to an 8-10 to 10 point victory. And then with, Oklahoma State doesn't score the final 221. After Cade went on his own little personal run, TCU switched to a zone for about a, bin, a minute and then went back to man. I think it confused Oklahoma State. I don't think that Oklahoma State got good looks down the stretch. And then all game long, the free throw shooting. That's what gets you beat at home by a team like TCU. Uh, I mean, really just shooting in general, three-point. They were three, three of 17 from beyond the arc, which is a huge problem that needs addressed going forward. But from the free throw line, 17 of 26 at home. Oof. You get to the line 26 times, which is phenomenal. But Cade missed three, likely missed three. Walker missed a couple. I, it was – there were just a lot of mistakes uh, made by Oklahoma State, and they lost a game that they shouldn't have. Absolutely. And I'm totally with you on you cannot lose home games in general in the Big 12 play if you want to make the tournament. And then the, you mentioned the schedule. I mean, four of their next five are against top 15 teams in the country. So this is just a just a huge, huge missed opportunity. It's, it's a killer, really. And I think you touched on it. I think the biggest problem with this team, Colby, is the offensive end. Obviously, the free throws that's inexcusable. Like you guys are division one basketball players. You need to hit your free throws. If you want to win basketball good games, good shooters, missing free throws. Yeah. And again, I, I think Mike Boyden understands defense. He's shown me a lot with his defensive acumen, but I'm not seeing much at all on the offensive and they have a real issue offensively. And I think it stems from their lack of three point shooting. I mean, again, they, they were woeful from three point uh, range in this game. And, and again, I think that's where Cade Cunningham gets into some problems because there's no spacing. You certainly saw that in the last possession. They ran a double team at him. And there was just nowhere to go with the basketball. But they were three of 17 from three-point range. And again, I, I like that they only shot 17 of them because they're not a great three-point shooting team. But there's just no spacing. And they have a real issue on offense. I don't know what style of play really this far in his tenure that, that Mike Boynton has offensively. Obviously, he had a ton of defections that hurt his depth over the years, <clears throat> but that's the issue number one for me is they can bring it defensively, but 
especially when games get tight, like it did there late when it's, when it's, you know, single possession timeout, single possession timeout. I'm not seeing a whole lot offensively that gives me uh, hope for, the, for this season. Yeah, and one thing I thought was interesting on the broadcast last night, uh, they were talking about how the NBA game will actually be easier for Cade because in the NBA you've got defensive three seconds and NBA teams just space the floor with shooters, so there's a lot more room to operate. Well, what did TCU do last night? They had Kevin Samuel, uh, big guy, 6'11 in the middle, did not get in foul trouble all night early, didn't have to sit for any of that. He, he played 33 minutes. He ended up with seven blocks. So what TCU's strategy was, hey, Kevin Samuel – park yourself directly underneath the basket and make it an absolute hell for Oklahoma State to get inside and get easy buckets. Well, then what happens? Cade gets inside and it's congested. It's totally bogged down. He ends up going six of 18 from the floor last night. And the problem is he kicks it out. You know, Farron Flavors was two of seven again from three last night. I'm still waiting for Farron Flavors to be this great shooter that I keep hearing that he is, you know, I'm I'm just almost tired of being told about his three-point shooting percentage at Cal Baptist. This ain't Cal Baptist. This is the Big 12. This is the best conference in the country whenever it comes to basketball. And at some point, he's going to have to start shooting the ball better or I, I'm, I'm going to have to see a reduction in minutes. I, I don't know what, what the solution is for Oklahoma State, but that's how teams are going to defend them the rest of the way. They are going to pack the lane make it very difficult for Oklahoma State to get easy baskets and force them to kick it outside because they know Oklahoma State can't shoot very well so um, I I don't know if Flavors just hasn't found his range yet but two of seven last night Bryce Williams 0 of one Rondell Walker 0 of two from beyond the arc and even Cade Cade was 0 of three from three last night and he came in shooting 48 percent from beyond the arc in the first six games but obviously TCU did some things last night that made it much more difficult on him so that's how Oklahoma State's going to be defended and they have to find a way to beat it yeah they they really miss Thomas Dezagua and Lindy Waters's spacing you know obviously those players were limited in some other areas especially Dezagua on the defensive end but they just don't have shooters like that on this on this team and I, I do I do think too that Mike Boyden's made some curious lineup decisions I mean again he starts Kuma at center who played just three minutes I don't I don't understand what what that's about he he, he had another he had another club trillion almost. He had one turnover and one foul. That was the only non-zero he had in the box score in three minutes. But I don't understand that. I thought Moncrief should have played far more in this game. He played really well, 19 minutes, 10 points, five of nine from the field, five rebounds. That's He's stuffing the stat sheet in just 19 minutes. And I understand he struggled at some points in this year, but I thought in the flow of that game, he should have stayed on the floor much longer. And I, I haven't really liked – Mike's lineup rotations thus far. I think Rondo Walker got up to 26 minutes, which I was asking for him to play more. I think he can play more than that. But uh, I, I've been curious as to the lineup uh, that that Boyden's been going to, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I have been. It's, you know, we talked about it earlier this season. It, it's like we dumped this puzzle out on the table and told Mike Boynton to put it together. And I don't think he's found the right combination of pieces so far. I still think we're missing a few corners, to be quite frank. And I don't know what the solution is. A lot of these freshmen are in there. I, I don't know. The Bernard Kuma experiment starting, I mean, he ends up only playing three minutes last night. I don't know if I wouldn't rather see Caleb Boone back in the starting lineup or even M.A. Moncrief, who's had a couple of good games now uh, in a row. Ten points on five of nine shooting last night, five rebounds to go along with it in only 19 minutes. I know the kid's a true freshman. He's obviously really talented. What, what if we bumped those 19 minutes for Moncrief up to about that 26 range where Walker is at and give him some more run. Cause he's clearly to me been more productive than anybody else has on the inside early in the season. Yeah, no doubt. And I certainly miss your and a, I mean, he was so good at OSU and he transfers to SMU. I, I still don't know what happened there, but yeah, I'm with you. I think, I think he deserves to play more does, does Moncrief. And before we move on, I just two, two kind of overarching points I wanted to make first being Cade. And again, we've discussed it. I think this, the lack of spacing has hurt him so far early in this, this season. But I, this may be considered a hot take. I haven't just been completely overwhelmed with how great Kate has been. Like Again, the bar is so high, and I'm, I'm judging him on the bar that he's the number one pick in the NBA draft. And again, I know there's spacing issues. I know there's no shooting around him, which makes life tough. But shouldn't the number one pick in the draft 
be just dominating? Shouldn't he just be taking over? Shouldn't he be dominating a TCU team? That's that's good, but they're not top 15 in the country. And certainly he should have a matchup. He should be a matchup nightmare at his height and length and just his overall talent. Have you been underwhelmed at all with, with Cade? I know he's, he dropped 29 in a game this year. He hit the game winner against Wichita State. I'm not saying he's been bad. I'm just, I'm comparing him to number one picks in the NBA draft playing at the division one college basketball level. I think, I think I need to see more from him if, if OSU is going to make the tournament. Yeah, I, I would not say I've been underwhelmed yet. I think last night's the only night that I have been to this point. And I think that there um, is some misunderstanding about the differences between the NBA and college basketball. It, it's the same sport, but it's a different game. Actually, three of the last five number one picks played at the power five level and did not make the, 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 the dance in March did, did not play in that tournament. Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz, and now Anthony Edwards this season uh, played at LSU, Washington and Georgia respectively. And none of those guys made the tournament. It, it's just a very different game. I, I do think that Cade has been uh, really good this season until last night. Now that was his big 12 debut. And that obviously was the best competition he's faced so far. And he didn't have a very good game. I mean, yeah, he had 17 points, eight rebounds, three assists, two blocks. But he was 6 of 18 from the floor. He was 0 of 3 from beyond the arc. He was 5 of 8 uh, on free throws. And then that final play, I mean, Oklahoma State had seven seconds to get that ball up the floor and get a good look. And the look that they ended up with was a disaster. I understand wanting to have the ball in Cade's hands. But, I mean, TCU sends everybody that direction. I feel like there had to have been or, or should have been some sort of backup plan for him to get the ball to somebody if TCU just absolutely overloaded him and said there's no way we're letting this happen also I, I don't totally understand dribbling into the corner and taking a fadeaway 18 footer when you're behind by a point and you're in the double bonus go as hard as you can directly to the rim and maybe the ref bells you, bells you out and maybe you finish at the rim that's what I would have liked so I did not like that play on the final possession but no I think Cade for the most part has been what I expected uh, and has been great but last night obviously uh, was not that. So we'll see how he bounces back Saturday against Texas. Yeah, no doubt. I and mean, he's been good this year. I'm not trying to be a detractor. I just, I think the Ben Simmons is a good comparison because, you know, Ben Simmons obviously was the number one pick, but he wasn't just, you know, this multifaceted scorer. You know, he averaged 16, seven, and eight at, uh, at LSU. That's kind of the all around game that, that Kate has. Kate is certainly more skilled offensively, and they're different players. But in terms of the team they played on, not making the tournament, uh, certainly not, you know, dropping 30 every night and just looking like a, a college kid playing against high school kids, which is what you kind of expect from a, a number one overall pick. I think I think the Ben Simmons comparison is a good one. So I think Kate will have much better games this year. And I, and I think he will, as this season progresses, really show that he is just on a different level than than his contemporaries. But that's just that's that's kind of a thought I had after last night's uh, disappointing performance. Yeah, just real quick, Carson. He, he needs to get off to better starts. He, he's starting games 0 of 4, 0 of 5 before he really finds his shooting stroke. I don't know what the reasoning behind that is, uh, but I hope that that's something that he is addressing internally. Hey, I need to get off to better starts, whether that's better shot selection in the first five minutes of the game or just finding his stroke a little bit earlier. It, it feels like he's getting off to these poor shooting starts and then having to kind of work his way into form throughout the game. So hopefully we'll, we'll see better starts early in the first half for Cade Cunningham and for Oklahoma State, who once again last night found itself behind by double digits in the first half and had to climb all the way out of it before ending up losing it. So get off to a better start so you don't have to play catch up the entire game. Yeah, that's a great point. And OSU got off to such a slow start. I think uh, Jacob Unruh tweeted this. OSU made just nine of 20 layups in the opening half. So here I am talking about three-point shooting and spacing which obviously that makes layups more contested, but man, nine of 20 <laughs> at the rim is, is just not good at all. And my other overarching point I want to touch on before we move on Colby is, is Mike Boynton. I mean, look, he's, he's super well-respected. I like him. Everyone likes him. He's obviously killing it in recruiting, but at a certain point you need to start winning basketball games. And he's, I believe 20 and 35 in big 12 play. He's 56 and 50, I think, overall as a head coach. And again, he's he's well liked. He's well respected. He's going to get plenty of time to get things you know turned around in Stillwater. But I think games like 
that what you saw against TCU lead to real questions about Mike's tenure at OSU in terms of, is he going to win games? Like, and again, I, I think his coaching acumen gets called into question too much. I think people forget that he went to Lawrence, Kansas and won with a depleted roster. He won in Morgantown with a depleted roster. He's shown late game acumen on, on ATO plays out of timeouts. I just, the results haven't been there yet. And I, I do think that's a question if you have, objectivity about Mike Boynton that, that needs to be asked because last night's loss was, was brutal. I mean, a nine Oh run, they, they looked lost offensively. I know there was a foul call that could have been called on Bryce Williams driving to the rim. That was egregious, but are you with me here that, uh, you know, you need to start winning some games or that seat's going to get, get warm in Stillwater. Oh, I'm definitely with you. I think that so far in Mike Boynton's tenure at Oklahoma state, he has been an a plus in pretty much uh, everything except coaching, you know, uh, media, A+, plus, winning over the fans, A+, plus, establishing a culture at Oklahoma State, A+, plus, recruiting, A+, plus, motivator, A+. Plus. And then whenever we get to coaching, I, I think the grade right now would be an I. I think it's incomplete because his first few years, obviously the roster was so depleted. They were having try-ons for walkout, try, try-outs for walk-ons, pardon me. And I, I think it's really hard to judge a coach in that circumstance. But at the end of this season, it's no longer going to be an I. We're going to be able to grade how Mike Boynton coached this season whenever he had real talent on his roster. And look, you had six guys last night making their first career start in a conference game. It went very wrong at the end. Maybe it's a one-off and they turn things around and this turns into a nine and seven or 10 and 16 uh, or wait, how many, how many games? They play 18 games in the big 12. So maybe this turns into a uh, 10 and eight, 11 and 17 in conference. Maybe it doesn't, but at the end of this season, it will no longer be an incomplete grading, uh, and we will be able to tell, uh, I think, a lot about what kind of coach Mike Boynton is. Absolutely. I think those are fair questions, and obviously, like you mentioned, they're a young team. We all understand that. But, man, you can't be losing on your home floor to TCU, and, and certainly in that fashion. That, that was a, a brutal loss. So, without further ado, let's get to Bullets and BBs. And we, this can be OSU uh, basketball or football-related, Colby, where we give out our our helmet stickers, I guess for, for basketball, it would be like uh, bullet patches on the Jersey. I don't know, but we'll do our bullets and BB segments. Nonetheless, I'll start with my bullet. I think OSU's social media team did an unbelievable job on, on uh, national signing day with the, the Tecmo bowl videos they did for each recruit. That was sensational. I think Heath Vessels is the person in charge of that. He, he kind of came up with the idea and, and came up with how to, get it all done production wise. And uh, again, I, I think I tweeted this and Chad, Chad Weiberg, the uh, associate AD kind of clapped back at me a little bit on Twitter. And uh, the point I was making was OSU social media has gone from like freshman mode on NCAA football to like Heisman mode. It's, it's jumped up like 10 levels. And I think he took that personally that, you know, I, I, I said, whoever they've hired recently has done a great job. I think it's been a recent, you know, and when I say recent, I don't mean like this year. I mean, over the last, you know, three, four, five years where, you know, you saw the stuff that Oklahoma was doing early in Lincoln Riley's tenure with the social media videos on signing day and, and just all of their social media. It felt like OSU was way behind on all of that type of stuff that, that recruits really care about, like, you know, the graphics they make for recruits and stuff like that. I thought they were really far behind. And now I think they were they were some of the most lauded social media videos of, of any school in the country. So I want to give a, a bullet to uh, Heath Vessels, his team, Chad Weiberg and OSU's staff and department for for really, you know, making OSU innovators in the, the social media, which I know some people don't think that's important, but it really is in terms of recruiting. So I think they did a great job. Yeah, it absolutely is. I love that one. I love the video they made for DeKelvey on Beeman and some of the stuff they were doing. They were great yesterday. And I'm going to give my bullet to Rodarius Williams. I know the voters for the, the Big 12 uh, all-conference teams don't agree with me, but he sent out his note the other day that he is going to go ahead and go to the NFL and that his time at Oklahoma State is done. And I just want to give him a bullet for, you know, his career at Oklahoma State. He came in, high expectations, took him a couple years to get the feel, and then he and A.J. Green were really good last year. And then this year, he just took his game to a, a completely different level and I think he has the cover skills to be a guy that we see play in the NFL for a decade uh, and get maybe that second contract. Cause that's where the, the money money is at 
is in that second contract. And I think he's that type of guy. So just want to give him uh, a big time bullet for his career at Oklahoma state as he now transitions to the next level. Yeah. I cannot wait to watch him uh, and all those guys that ended up going to the NFL, watch them play the next level. I'm interested to see where Darius lands in terms of uh, in terms of what team, what system and all that, but he had an unbelievable finish to his career. And I, I can't wait to watch him, him play uh, my BB. I think we just touched on it. You know, Mike Boynton, um, it's time to start winning games. And again, I mentioned four of the next five against teams in the top 15, this could go really South really quickly. And I think he has his work cut out for him over the next, you know, four or five games in big 12 play. And that's, that's part of, you know, the job he took. I mean, this, this conference is tough. There are like, I would put the coaches in the big 12 up against any conference in the country. Obviously I think they're the best. I think the conference is probably the best in the country, just top to bottom, the depth that they have, but uh, yeah, it's time to start winning basketball games. And I think, uh, you look at what, uh, let me see here, what Brad Underwood's doing at Illinois. He's, he's turned Illinois around pretty good. All of that, I think they've lost twice now. They, they're not doing as hot as I thought they were, but Illinois killing it with Brad Underwood. And, and obviously he left town with, you know, the way things shook out with Mike Holder and all that was, was not good, but I think it's, it's time Mike Boyden start winning some basketball games. I, don't, I think he knows that. And he's, he's a smart guy. And, I think I, I trust that he's a good coach. This is not a, you know, I thought early on Colby that when I watched Travis Ford's teams, those first two years, I mean, the first year he had Sean's recruits and they made the tournament and they, they gave Pitt a scare as the number one seed when, when OSU was the eight or nine seed. After that, I could tell really early on that, that he was not a very good coach in terms of X's and O's. There was no plan. The recruiting was was terrible. All the defections. And he was really relying on Keaton Page for all those early years too. This is not the same situation for me with Mike Boynton. I think he's shown me more in his first couple of years than Travis Ford did by a long way. But it's time to start winning, no doubt. Yep, I agree. And you know, I know that this team is young, but this isn't a scenario where you get you know two, three, four years to make it work with all these guys. The key cogs here for a year, and that's Cade Cunningham. So uh, make it work right now. Uh, get while the getting's good, if you will. My my BB this week, it's got to go to the voters of the all Big 12 football teams. <laughs> I just, I don't understand. Rodarius Williams isn't on the first team. Neither is Amen. Neither is Malcolm, Colby Harville, Peel. None of those guys make it on the first team. Also, and I, I wasn't really even thinking this way, but Adam Lunt pointed it out on Twitter. The Big 12 selected 10 defensive backs for the all Big 12 teams, and Trey Sterling wasn't one of them. I mm. just... I mean, the third-ranked secondary in the country, none of them make the first team, and Trey Sterling doesn't even make the second team. Uh, I think it was a major failure by the voters for the Big 12 uh, all-conference teams, and they get my BB this week. That's a great one. I, I can't disagree. I mean, I, again, as much as I – Rodarius not making first team is laughable. Trey Sterling not making any team – is just flat out ridiculous. So I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I don't know what the hell they were watching. So uh, time for one interesting thing, Cole, before we get out of here, I'll start. This was, uh, you know, I posed that question to you on the last show about opposing players and teams like shooting above their heads in Gallagher-Iba Arena. And we kind of chalked that up to just, ah, you just, we've watched too many games and you only remember when, when teams light it up. But I, I think Craig will be cool if I share this with him. But I had a, a Craig Smith, sent me a message uh, to my KOCO Facebook page. He listens to the podcast. I appreciate him listening. He had a great story that I wanted to share on the pod. He said about 35 years ago, he was watching uh, with a good friend, you know, Matt Clark, Leroy Combs and them play, you know, every basketball game back then for OSU. And his friend was a, you know, a good, a good baseball player from the university of Arkansas, understand sports. And he, <laughs> he said, I don't know what the hell the deal is here at Gallagher Iva, but this venue must fit the opponent's shooting eye. Because night after night, it's bordering on the almost unbelievable how opposing players shoot in Gallagher Iba Arena. So, you know, Craig Smith's a listener from New Mexico. He loves the pod. Uh, he, he likes listening to us, Colby. And I, I love getting messages like that because it, it gives me even more motivation to keep doing the podcast. I love doing it. I even love hearing, you know, people listening in New Mexico. That's fantastic. But he's had that theory for uh, over 35 years as well that, you know, opposing players, just there's something about the dimensions of Gallagher Iba that, it kind of suits them. They, they, they feel right at home. Yeah, we saw that last night with TCU. It is, it is strange. There you go. It, it's strange. I mean, 8 of 17 TCU was last night from three-point land. A lot of those came uh, in the first half, and a big one came late 
it, it was crazy. Right as Oklahoma State built the eight-point lead, TCU immediately went down and hit a three. And it's like, I don't know, it is kind of uncanny the way opponents have shot GIA. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that it dates back to 35 years ago, back when Matt, Matt Clark and Leroy Combs were on the floor. So I, I'll always remember the, the Bedlam game where Tony Crocker dropped like 35 and just was unconscious from three. So games like that uh, certainly uh, lead to the, uh, the uh, uh, what's the conspiracy theory. That's the word I was trying to come up with. So what's your one interesting thing? Yeah, my one interesting thing is that Oklahoma State gets off to an 0-1 start in conference play, and now the next three games are against Texas and Texas Tech. Both of those games are on the road, and then you get West Virginia at home. After the game Saturday at Texas, that's at 1 o'clock, and it's showing here it's on the Longhorn Network, which that sucks, but Ugh. whatever. Anyway, that's at, that's at 1 o'clock on Saturday. Then you get a two-week break because you got Christmas, you got New Year, so a two-week break for Oklahoma State. So I think that game Saturday is so important because I don't think you want to go into a two-week Christmas holiday break being 0-2 in conference play. So road games against Texas and Texas Tech and then West Virginia at home on Monday, January 4th. Um, Boy, those are three tough games. Oklahoma State's going to be underdogs in all three, and I would really, really hate to be sitting here on January 5th looking at an Oklahoma State basketball team that's 0-4 in conference play. So that one last night stings. Hopefully they bounce back. Uh, And then now a totally off-the-wall interesting thing, Charlie Woods looks like he may eventually be the second greatest golfer of all time. So uh, shout-out to the (laughs) Father-Son Challenge this week. I cannot wait. I am absolutely giddy, Carson, to watch an 11-year-old hit (laughs) golf ball. That swing is majestic. Uh, I saw he was club twirling today on the range with his dad right next to him. And I just love that Tiger Woods, and I, I mentioned this to you before we hit record, that, you know, we were talking about how Tiger makes Charlie play blade blades. He plays, plays blade irons, doesn't play the cavity backs or the game improvement type irons that are so prevalent now in, in the sport of golf because he, he wants him to learn how to hit the ball flush and pure. And I just think that is just a next level parenting, but why Tiger's the goat. And uh, I think Charlie, by the time he's, you know, 18 years old, he's going to have a decision just to turn pro or, or to go to college. Cause I think he's, he's going to be off the charts. Good. And I can't wait to watch that as well. Yeah, I think so too. I can't imagine being another 11 year old and having to play against Charlie Woods in these tournaments. Uh, one of the golf guys was tweeting a while ago that they were on the 11th hole and Charlie stuffed his approach shot to like six inches and just put his club in his bag and kept going, didn't get all excited. He went like, Dad, look, Dad, look. He, he just acted like it's something he does all the time. So uh, I know that that's, like, totally off topic, but I am just so, so – as a Tiger Woods fanatic, I'm so excited for whatever the future has in store for Charlie. How do you even play against Charlie with Tiger in the gallery? Uh, like, I wouldn't be able to even, like, focus. I would be so My hands would be shaking and... so bad. I'd, I'd hit it out of bounds. I'd be shanking putts. It'd be embarrassing. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd probably hit towards him to see if he'd sign a ball or something, you know. So uh, one, one more thing before we get out of here, too. Who's your pick in the Big 12 championship game? Obviously, Oklahoma-Iowa State. I think it's a great matchup, uh, top 10 matchup, in fact. Uh, I think Iowa State's the best team OU's played in, a, in the conference title game scenario since they reinstated it back in uh, 2015 or 14, whatever year that was, Colby. Who's your, who are you picking that game? Yeah, I'm going to take OU to win and cover. Five and a half is the line. I think OU wins this game somewhere in the neighborhood of 37-24. I like it. I think uh, I'm so tempted to pick Iowa State because they're so good. I think uh, Chris Chris Felica from you know College Game Day was on the, the playoff ranking show, and he, he said since Halloween, Iowa State efficiency-wise – is only behind, I think, Alabama in terms of efficiency. Alabama and Clemson, they're right behind, they're like a few decimal points behind Clemson, but they have a better efficiency rating than Notre Dame and really everyone else in the country. That's how good they've been since Halloween. Obviously, they did lose to Louisiana on some crazy returns and everything like that. They beat OU on their home field before OU had Stevenson and Perkins back. We all understand that, but when the game kicks off, I just kind of think OU's defensive line is going to give Brock Purdy all sorts of trouble. I just, I kind of think that, you know, I think Brees Hall is going to get his. He'll probably get close to 100 yards, if not over that. But I just think this shapes up to be, you know, in the OU secondary is improved too. They started playing the younger guys. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to take OU as well. I think it's, uh, I think it might be a little lower scoring than that. I, I'll go Oklahoma probably like 31. 
31-28. I think, I think they kick a field goal to win. I think it's going to be close, but uh, I just think Oklahoma's defense gets enough stops. Yep, and then Sunday morning we can watch the college football playoff committee put Ohio State in. Uh, don't get me started. That's such <laughs> a joke. Uh. Oh, that's funny. And then Ohio State will probably like win the whole thing, and they'll be like, look, see? Because that year that I was Ohio State got in over Baylor and TCU, they won it. And they're like, oh, see, we put in the right team. Well, it's like, no, they shouldn't have been there anyway. So, but whatever. I, Everybody I have a great weekend. Enjoy yep. Oklahoma State, Texas. Hopefully the folks come out on top. Yep. Sounds good, Colby. We'll talk to you next week.